Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute provides educators access to nonfiction 9-11 resources for K-12, first-person curriculum with video, Discovering Heroes book series for kids, and a speakers bureau with access to 9-11 first responders, survivors, and loved ones. A high-tech 83-foot tractor trailer that transforms into an interactive museum with artifacts and Russell F. Siller Memorial Scholarships for exemplary high school students of program recipients preparing for college. Never forget, donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Somebody, please get Robin Dixon on the line. If not her, I need somebody maybe from a million dollar listing. I don't care if it's New York or one of them them California ones. I need somebody to help me sell my house. Look, I live in Great Falls and they gang banging in Potomac. I need somebody to help me. No, I live in Memphis. But still, get me out of Memphis. Get me out of Potomac. They is gang banging. The Crips, the Bloods, the Ashleys, the Moniques, the Candaces. They gang banging. I'm low-key here for it. But Lord Jesus, they gang banging in Potomac. And I let, let's talk about it. Okay, y'all, so this is going to be a little bit of a different format 
than we usually do. You know, normally I give you a weekly housewives roundup and you know, I, see, I didn't, I'm so flustered. I didn't even introduce myself this week. Y'all know I'm Kendrick and this is me and you, the housewives of Marvel two. And I, I really couldn't even this had to have been one of the greatest housewives episodes in history. I'm not even going to say recent history because that would do it a disservice. This was one, this Potomac episode was one of the best ones in housewives history. That's going back to, uh, 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 Vicky and, and all of them, Gina and them back in season one of OC. It's going back that far. This is one of the greatest episodes and can't nobody tell me otherwise because of that. I started doing my notes. You know, I do days of notes. I watched the episodes a couple of times. Usually, you know, we had three Housewives franchises airing at the same time. We had Beverly Hills on Wednesdays. Thank God they are gone off because Lisa Renner worked my nerves and Teddy Mellon Camp worked my nerves so bad this year that I'm so glad they gone off my TV. We had them on Wednesdays. We had New York on Thursdays. And we had the wonderful, lovely ladies of Potomac on Sundays. Man, oh man, by the time I had watched this Potomac episode for the third time and had done all of my notes and, uh, had, you know, seen everything on social media because, you know, they, they go at it on social media, Lord. By the time I had done all my notes, I had as many notes as I normally would for a regular roundup episode. So I said, you know what, because of that, I'm not going to include Beverly Hills and New York in this specific episode. I'll do a separate one for them. You know, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about that first part of the Beverly Hills reunion. And then we'll talk about parts two and three of the New York reunion. We'll just talk about all of it together. But I felt like I needed to focus specifically on this episode because it would almost be a disservice not to. Boy, oh boy, I could watch this episode a million times. That was some good ass TV. Those producers, those editors, that cast in Potomac is doing what no other show on reality on TV is doing right now. They are rivaling those girls in Atlanta. I'm not talking about the Atlanta Housewives because I, I think this is going to be a good season of the Housewives in Atlanta coming up because they got a lot of casting changes. You know, they're doing, I can see that being a really good season. But I'm talking about those married to medicine ladies. Oh my God. That Mariah Hook and they have given us some amazing television. These girls in Potomac are doing the exact same thing. And I'm talking about season after season after season. It is a huge disservice if you would call yourself a Housewives fan and you do not watch Potomac. I don't know what's going on with you. And no, I don't get paid, promote, none of that, I don't, I am telling you that because I am an avid Housewives watcher across all of the franchise, I watched Teresa and Jennifer, uh, Jennifer Sladen in New Jersey, I watched the girls in New York, I was watching Miami when they were on, I watched uh, Cameron and Stephanie down in Dallas, I watched my uh, all-time favorite housewife of all the time, Portia Williams down there in Atlanta, uh, I, I begrudgingly watched the California Housewives. Neither one of those really wet my whistle. But, you know, ever since Megan King Edmonds left OC, I haven't really been feeling them too much. But 
whatever. You see this? I'm already, I've been rambling for five minutes now and I haven't even talked about the episode. That's why I can't talk about Beverly Hills and New York in this episode. I have to focus on Potomac. It was so much going on. My like heart, I haven't even started talking about it yet. My heart is, can y'all hear this? Look, that's my real heart. No, that was my hand, but it is, it's doing a lot. Like I, we got to talk about this episode almost piece by piece. And you know, that's normally not how I talk about these episodes. That's not the kind of reviewing that I do. I like to kind of extrapolate the big points and then bring about a bigger conversation. But my God, there was every single piece of this episode brought about a bigger conversation. So I feel like it will be doing it a disservice if we didn't talk about this episode solo. So, I mean, oh my God, my heart beating fast. This is, <laughs> that's how you know you are a reality TV junkie when you can sit up and get this worked up over one episode of Housewives. And then it was a cliffhanger. That's the thing. So you already know next week is going to be even better. Oh my God. You know, they said episodes eight through 10 of Potomac are going to define the rest of the season and are going to be some of the best of like the housewives across the whole. And for those of you who don't know, who don't follow kind of the, the back news of housewives, their photo shoot, like their cast shoot that perp, you know, that kind of purple themed uh, season five promo picture that Bravo releases when they release the trailer that was shot like two days after this fight. Just a little bit of tea for y'all. I mean, my God, this is <laughs> Bravo is messy as hell. And you know what? I love every minute of it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh my God. Let's go ahead and talk about this episode. We start off with Candace in the studio. Apparently she had a song out. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, you know, these reality stars, they put out songs like we uh put out panties. I don't know. But they, she, she apparently has a remix to an original song that she made. I guess it was a song that she sang at her and Chris's wedding last season. I wasn't paying attention to the song. I was more concerned about, you know, if Dorothy was going to throw a chair at their damn daddy at that, <laughs> at that reception. Ooh, Lord, you know what? Side note, these reality TV mamas really need to get their own show. Let me go ahead and build a cast for y'all. Okay. So we would have Candace Dillard's mom, Dorothy. She'd be uh, one of the, I, you know, I always call them peach holders. She'd be a peach holder. We got Mama D from Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. We got, uh, I, I need a couple of those Love and Hip Hop New York mamas on the show too. Kim and Judy. Kim and Judy, let me tell y'all something. Love and Hip Hop New York is sometimes is so underrated. But them mamas, when they were on there, the, the height of their beef was some of the funniest TV I have ever seen in my life. If y'all follow all these different reality TV pages on Instagram, get on there and just search through all of their love and hip hop, New York stuff. Them mamas worse. First of all, I like people that know how to cuss and I know that sounds crazy, but when I say that, you know, anybody can curse, you know, oh, God damn it. You know, I mean someone that can put together curse words in a way you've never heard before. that just make you say, well, God damn you, you, you cussing for real. I like them kind of people. Them mamas in New York was cussing. Do you hear me? They were, they were getting them fights. One of them had a heart attack on set or panic attack or something. I just know that she got carted out of there on a, uh, a stretcher. So, I mean, if that ain't good TV, I don't know what it is. So, how many is that? That's four right there. 
you got to get uh Mama D somebody to go up against because you know she don't like nobody. So let's put her uh let's put her with Mama Joyce. We'll let Mama Joyce be a peach holder too, and maybe uh Erica Dixon, Mama Mignon. I like Mignon too. We go get her. That's damn. We already we at six housewives already, or Mama wives, or uh uh housewife mamas, whatever the hell y'all want to call them. Love and hip hop mammoths. I don't know. <laughs> oh Lord, let me. I'm gonna get uh. Y'all gonna be trying to me to me. I'm talking about some damn housewife mammoths. Oh Lord. Okay. And then the wait a minute. Let me give y'all two more. Over in Love and Hip Hop Hollywood, that damn Pam and Lyrica G. If those aren't two of the funniest women on TV, I don't know who. who I I listen. When they were at that beach, and Lyrica G. Tried to pick up that chair to throw at Pam. I don't, I, <laughs> there's been some ridiculous stuff to make me laugh. That was hilarious. So that's about eight people I've cast on this show. Bravo, reach out to me. No, not Bravo. VH1, reach out, you know, because this, this got to be a little more ratchet than we, you know, we accustomed to. VH1, reach out to me. We'll make that happen. You know, you, you really ain't got to pay them that much. You know, you get them, <laughs> you take Portia Williams' salary on Atlanta and divide it up by eight, they'll be okay. We'll just, you know, we'll make that happen. That'll be a big success. I just want to be an executive producer. I don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to be like James and Potomac who be on set and stuff. I want to be like, uh, you know, one of them, what they call Mariah on <laughs> Married to Medicine, the, the vanity title. Yeah, I just want my name to appear on the episode. I don't really want to you know, do a whole lot. I just want to, you know, get the credit because I gave you the idea. And now don't be trying to steal my shit like y'all trying to steal Mariah. Okay, let me stop. Because Mariah Hook, I <laughs> I even got her started. Another side note, Mariah Hook is the funniest person to ever come through Bravo. I'm going to put up an Instagram post about that the day that this episode drops. Because I really sat here and thought about that today. Mariah Hook has to be the funniest person to ever come through Bravo. And I'm going to give y'all some a little bit of background and some proof as to why I say that. That woman is hilarious. Anyway, back to Candace. <laughs> I know Happy Birthday gotta be madder than a motherfucker listening to her sing this new song. Y'all know Can that's Candace's favorite song. They told us on the episode. Ashley told us while they were at uh, Monique's Lake House. That's their favorite song. I know Happy Birthday was looking at her crazy as hell in that studio, sitting up singing a new song. Well, the remix of a song we ain't never heard before. We'll, we'll look, look, we'll talk to Billboard about that. I don't know. I don't know what I, I can't find it on Apple Music. I don't know, but we'll let her do that. Who do y'all think? This is the question I want to pull from this. We still got a lot more, a little bit more to talk about in this scene. But who do y'all think sings in a deeper register? Candace, Happy Birthday to you, or Candy Burris. Every man wants a woman. I was just thinking about that. And I'm like, both of them sing a little. You know, they, they got that, you know, Anita Baker or that Tony Braxton kind of going on. I'm wondering which one sings deeper. I want the four of them to get together in a choir, and I want to see what that sound like. Anyway, Candace talks to Chris about how she's officially done with Monique. And it kind of all stems back, the way they're, they're letting it seem like on camera, it all stems back to Monique uh, quote unquote, pretending to be asleep when Candace was leaving. She said about everyone else, but Candace took it as a slight that she still didn't want to just talk to her or, you know, be courteous. She says because of that, she's officially done. She feels like she's constantly pouring into a relationship, but she's getting nothing back. And then they kind of call back and forth to that, uh, that scene at Ashley's like coming out party 
where, you know, she's finally out of the house with, uh, without baby Dean and how Monique, they, she says, start, tries to start a lot at the table with her and then comes outside, you know, we get that production footage and, you know, they, they go back and forth with it and, you know, I'll talk to you when the cameras go down and that kind of stuff. So with all of that, she's kind of saying that, you know, Monique isn't a good friend. She's never has been. I'm officially done with her, which we see later in the episode causes a ton of problems, not because of the fight, but because it causes Candace to make a decision that directly affects Monique's income. My God, my God. Let's go ahead and move on to, wow, probably one of the most cringiest scenes in Housewives history, but at least we got another fourth wall break. You know, we, us Bravo, uh, Bravoholics, we love us a good fourth wall break. The scene between Ashley and Michael in the restaurant, I literally was wrapped up on my couch. I had a beer in one hand. And my cover was almost pulled up over my entire face. Watching this scene unfold had to have been some of the cringiest stuff I have ever seen in my life. And the thing is, I can't quite pinpoint what was so cringy about it. I don't know if it was specifically because it just sounds like Michael is lying. I don't know if it's because it feels like Michael doesn't care. I don't know if it's because it kind of feels like a facade and Ashley wants us to believe all of this has happened. I don't know. Something about it though, just made me kind of shudder. Like I, ugh, it, it, it's so cringy. Let me just break it down and then we'll kind of dive into it a little deeper. So the first big point I want to make is, do you guys believe this dumbass story? I, you know, I, I hate being so blunt, but this dumbass story that he told her and she regurgitated on camera to us. Basically, she says that uh, Michael told her she met a girl at the strip club. They all went to the MGM. Uh, the girls came along, you know, right after they did. One of them asked, do you want to go back to the hotel? They ended up, uh, you know, they kissed in the cab. Then they went upstairs uh, he got so drunk that he fell asleep in there before anything could happen. That's the first major point. He says that they did not have sex. He said he was so drunk that he just went directly to sleep. I don't know how you remember that if you're just so drunk, but he says he, uh, you know, went to sleep. He woke up and they were in bed together. He got up to check his phone and he says that she just snapped a picture of him. And he also made sure, kind of to point out, because Ashley made sure she asked him on camera. She said, and all this stuff about you having a boyfriend, you know, is there any truth to that? You know, kind of really cavalier about asking. And, you know, he's just like, no, no, I did. That was never said. It, ugh, I don't know. That whole story and the fact that Ashley feels comfortable enough to sit on camera and regurgitate it with a straight face. It is really kind of mind boggling to me. I know that when you're married, I know the dynamic is different. I'm not married. I want to make that abundantly clear. I can't ever see myself going so hard for someone that I'll accept anything they have to tell me. I am too logical and rational of a person that if I feel like I'm being fed a fairy tale, we need to get a pen and paper and write it down and try to sell it because 
you're not going to give it to me. Let's try to give it to uh, uh, one of these book companies, Amazon, somebody, Barnes and Noble will have to sell it because I there's nothing I can do with it. So it's really illogical for me to sit and look at Ashley in her face and try to believe the story that she's telling us. And she would only be telling us if she wanted us to believe it. Now, see, if she would have came out and said, he said this, but I think it's all a lie, then maybe my reaction would be different. But she made it abundantly clear at Giselle's uh, book reading, which we'll talk about later. Not book reading. What is it? Uh, uh, her little, her uh, like literary award uh, kind of celebration that she won her award on last week's episode. And, you know, Ashley makes it clear at that point that, yes, she does believe him. He told me all of this and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I don't know. And then... What's really kind of crazy is Michael and Ashley talk about whether or not they're going to continue to have threesomes. Ashley makes it abundantly clear. I don't want that to happen anymore. Michael tells her that he's been craving intimacy. And that kind of says a whole lot because maybe that's why this scene was so cringy. You wait until you've been confronted about cheating to tell your wife that you've been lacking intimacy. And then your wife gets in her interview and says that I definitely have not been the perfect wife. This is why, oh, and the thing is, I've really grown to love Ashley. You know, I've always, first of all, appreciated Ashley as a cast member on this show because Ashley gets it started. Ashley has been an underrated housewife, I think across all the franchises, since Potomac's inception. Ashley is a good housewife. Now, it it makes it difficult for me to believe the story they're trying to sell us. That's a good way of saying it. The story that they're trying to give us and make us believe, it's really hard because it all feels like basically a ruse. It's almost like, okay, Let's give them this because we don't know them. We don't want them to know what's really going on in our relationship. And, oh boy, that's another question in itself. Do we believe that, you know, there are a couple that just has threesomes every now and then? Or do we believe this is some kind of arrangement? Or do we believe this is something even deeper that we haven't even scratched the surface on? I'm kind of leaning towards that last option. I don't know. He talks about craving intimacy. She says they're not a traditional couple. They're done with the threesomes. And then Michael tells her he agrees, but says that they have to be intimate more, which was really super off-putting in that moment because your wife is telling you that she knows you've cheated and you're basically, your response to her is, I need you to be more intimate with me. It, almost as if saying like, if not, I'm going to cheat again. That shit, ugh, that whole scene was crazy to me. Cringy, crazy, dusty. <laughs> Dingy, dirty, dusty. See, that Merit to Medicine, I'm ready for Merit to Medicine to come back on my TV. I feel like I've been quoting it a whole lot lately. Every time I see the symbol, I think of an entirely different quote. You better pressure wash this nasty mother. You know, I that damn Mariah hug. Let me keep going. After that, you know, he's saying... You know, she asked him, you know, do we just want to end this? And he's like, no, we got too much uh, at stake. And Ashley point blank says, we're not going to stay together just because we have Dean. 
that I think triggered something in Michael's head, kind of like saying, okay, we're having a real moment right now. And I think for the first time in that scene, he kind of tapped into the fact that this isn't just a rehearsed kind of thing that they're about to do. No, she's telling you her real opinions, which instead of just leaning into it and telling his real opinions, he of course calls production over. He has his own Denise Richards, Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo moment. James, the producer, hey, James, James comes over and he discusses it with them, basically the whole thing. Michael says, you know, I don't have anything left in me. Can we just cut? I don't have anything. You know, I don't know what else to say. That whole time, Ashley was so calm. She was eating her food, wasn't saying a word. It almost seemed like, you know what? I really don't give a damn. I'm going to get two or three more kids out of this man and going on about my business. Secure that bag, Ashley. I'm not mad at you. James says, you know what? Thank you for, you know, sharing this much. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead. They they agree. They shut down the cameras and the scene ends. I I don't know. I hope that when the reunion comes, they okay, this season of Potomac, you know how Atlanta had that one season where they had Phaedra and Portia versus Candy we need to have another four-part reunion. If anybody can give it to us, Potomac can give it to us. Potomac and Atlanta, they can give us what we want at a reunion. We have a physical altercation this season. We got to get to the root of the Green Eye Bandits versus Karen. We got to talk about uh, this little beef between Wendy and Ashley on social media. It's a lot we got to talk about, and we definitely got to talk about the Darbies. And I hope that when we go to talk about the Darbies, that we get more about the psychology of their relationship. Because I think everyone watching is a little bit confused. I mean, I think confused is the ooh, the only thing that we can say because it kind of feels like Ashley doesn't necessarily care about you know, having a bigger understanding and neither does Michael. It almost kind of feels like they just didn't want to get caught by the public and they got caught by the public. So now they have to save face and kind of give us an explanation. The next moment we get is Monique. We kind of get another perspective on the cash. The, ooh, I was going to say cashly. <laughs> Candace versus Monique uh, altercation basically was leading up to it. And... Candace, no, Monique, Lord, you know, I, I take these names <laughs> when you cover so many housewives in a day, whether it's Instagram or a podcast, these names start to run together. Lord, Monique takes her team to an office and they talk about, I didn't know you could rent office space like that. I work in the hospitality industry, but I work like on the corporate side. So like we now have a brand that's specific for like meeting rooms and stuff. But I didn't know this was like a thing yet. I thought this was like down the line or stuff. So go ahead, Monique. Rent that office space, I guess. Monique learns that her tickets aren't selling that well. I think they have 300 total and she sold like 20. So clearly, you know, this kind of phases her a bit. And it kind of lets us know that money is an issue. And then she lets us know that she's put a lot of money already into this. What she later kind of reveals is that... Uh, not only are the tickets not selling well, but now she has to put more money into it because Candace has dropped out. Candace apparently sent her a text saying, you know, 
uh, I won't be able to do it, yada, yada, yada. But now, at this point, Monique has done all of this to actually get those flyers printed up. Her face is on it. Karen's face is on it. You know, they're like, she's, you know, she's trying to figure out, like, you know, that's super unprofessional. What the hell is going on? It seems like, at least the way it was being presented, Monique didn't necessarily have an issue with doing business with Candace, or at least being uh public, you know, kind of put on a public facade with Candace. But it seems like Candace was not interested in doing any of that. You can see both sides of it. You know, it. we get a little bit more into this later on in the episode. But then next we get Robin and Giselle, my green-eyed bandits, going shopping. You know, Giselle checked out a little early last week. So Robin, <laughs> Robin had to, uh, you know, meet up with her. They were, uh, you know, helping Giselle's amazing style decor. And Robin, you know what was really funny? Robin walked up to that lady and said, are those glasses prescription? Robin, you messy. You funny, but you messy. I love every minute of it, though. You know I love Robin being low-key messy, low-key the peacemaker, low-key funny as hell. I, I feel everything about it. Robin give Giselle, gives Giselle the lowdown on what happened after she left to get her award. And then she talks about a moment that's happened to every single one of us, at least every millennial I know that's listening to this or even younger. She talks about how the story broke basically uh, while they were still there, or maybe they were gone at that point. And, you know, Robin and Sharice have been friends, you know, way before the show. They've been friends for like back in like when their husbands were playing like basketball, like that long. And so Sharice texts her and she was like, you know, I didn't see it. What are you talking about? Robin's like, oh, well, let me send it to you because it's, it's everywhere right now. Robin goes in her phone, sends it. She goes back and she looks. She sent it to Ashley. Oh, my. If I had a nickel for every time I've done that, I've talked shit about somebody and then looked at my phone and I sent all lifted them. I didn't call folk all like their name, called them everything but a child of Jesus. And then uh, <laughs> had to play it off like I didn't know what the hell was going on. I know I've gotten so embarrassed by that one time I had to block somebody. I was like, look. If if you see me in public, I already know you're going to swing. So let me just go ahead and block you right now. So we ain't got to worry about this coming up later. Ash, I mean, uh, Robin does better than me, though. She follows that up immediately with, what do you want us to do with this? So that, <laughs> that was quick thinking. Giselle had to give her all the accolades because she covered that up really well. I Listen, I've never been good at that kind of stuff. When I, that's why I have to like triple check every time I send a text message now, ever since. And that happened like way back in the first time it happened was probably way back in like early high school days, like freshman in high school. And you know, I'm, I just turned 31, man. Oh man. Ever since then, I checked my text messages like a fool because I was so mad. I had a cousin, me and her were supposed to go to a uh, a jamboree. Now, if you're from down south, you know, we got to go to the jamboree. Hey, got to go to the jamboree. Hey, what do my head hurt? My bra too tight. My booty shake. For the leg. You know, we had to go to the jamboree. The football season was starting up at the high school. We was about to go. But my cousin was notorious for being a flake. And so, in the back of my head, I had already kind of considered, I was like, okay, chances are we not going nowhere. But... I want to be dressed and everything just in case. She was texting me up. I'm talking about minutes up until it was time to come and get me. And then just all of a sudden, like, oh, I can't go no more. 
I remember, I just was so mad. I, you know, when you iron your clothes to go somewhere, you mad as hell. Like, I set up and iron this. I didn't just put it in the dryer and then, you know, put a dry sheet in there and just hope that it came out, uh, you know, not wrinkled enough to wear. I set up an iron this and you telling me you can't go somewhere. It pissed me off so bad. I thought I was texting another cousin. I told her, I'm so sick of her shit. She always flaking on me, acting like she can't do something. I'm tired of her ass. I'm going to end up blocking her. I ain't going nowhere else with her ass. I'm staying at home. I ain't doing nothing with her. Yada, yada, yada. She better not ask me. For you know, you all got to throw that line in there when uh somebody piss you off. They better not ask me for shit. You know, all doing all that. She texts me back. She said, who? I said, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I just didn't say nothing after a while. But then I was still so mad a little while later. I ended up texting. I said, I was talking about you. The re- and then I went off on that. We didn't talk for about a year. Then we became back uh, uh, speaking cousins. So, listen, it happens sometimes. Robin, you fixed yours. I ain't never been able to fix mine. I just blocked the motherfucker right after. So, uh, I, I'll pick up on your, your cues from now on. After that, we get a little bit more of our favorite doctor, Dr. Wendy. So Dr. Wendy kind of talks about how she's going back from maternity leave. She uh, is taking cruise, her and her husband. They're taking cruise to uh, karate lessons for the first time. And the whole time they were in there, Wendy would look like she was about to beat that man ass. She had to look off for a minute. She was like, let me ask this man how his damn day was to avoid uh, whooping this damn man's ass for abusing my child. You know, so she had to turn around and ask her husband. She's like, okay, so how was your day? You know, he tells her, you know, it's hard kind of getting back into the swing of things. And then we hear from Wendy. Now, this is really kind of the moment I wanted to talk about because I feel like everyone who's college educated can really kind of relate to that kind of moment. Wendy said that she hasn't let the people at her job know that she's back yet. And she's unsure about her path as a professor. And the more important thing is, she says that uh, if she tells her mom, it'll mean that all of her sacrificing was for nothing. Now, I know I can relate to that. I have a bachelor's degree and I have an MBA. I always thought, I feel like that was one of the reasons why it kind of took me so long to make the jumps that I've made this year. You know, I'm writing a book and I, uh, I started this podcast and the Instagram account kind of to go with it. So that along with my uh, my my regular job, my salary job or whatever, it all kind of, you know, it's a lot. But I felt like as long as I had that salary job, then it's OK to do these other things. The reason it really took me so long to kind of make these jumps, though, is because you know, I've always known that I've had the gift of gab. I can talk to any person. I don't care religious belief, political belief, uh, uh, any kind of belief, you, you know, your musical taste, because I judge a motherfucker about their musical taste. But regardless of all that, I can talk to anybody about anything. I got the gift of gab. The stuff just flows out of my mouth. I always know I can talk to anybody about anything. But one of the reasons I was always so apprehensive was because I felt like I had put so much into getting an education that I needed to follow the traditional route. And I know a lot of you can relate to that because, you know, we now have a lot of opportunities that don't have to be so stringent, don't have to be so straightforward. You know, we don't have to 
only be doctors. We don't, you know, we need our doctors, but we don't have to only, you know, go the path of being a doctor, lawyer, uh, or something else, you know, doctor, lawyer, judge, something that the parents can brag about. There are so many other avenues and entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial avenues that we can go down now that it's not really shaming anymore for people to take these risks that they once would be shamed for. Cause like people, I knew people that were getting disowned by their families for doing what their parents call stupid shit like that. You know, saying you don't want to finish out college or saying that, you know, you got these degrees and now you're not about to use them because you're about to go fool la over here. That was a relatable moment. I can definitely relate to that. Wendy, just tell your mama, mind her damn business and you'll be all right. Now let's talk about the Dixons. I say the Dixons, but Juan actually wasn't insane. It was really just uh, Robin and her parents. She dropped by to check on her parents. But since I brought up Juan, Juan, I want you to touch that little dangling. Th- no, I'm just playing. <laughs> okay, let me go on before uh, Robin blocked my ass on Instagram. So she stops by her parents' house, and you know, they kind of have a conversation that they didn't know about. They didn't know that her and Juan were discussing marriage again. She tells them that they're looking for a house, but that she felt like it would be stupid to look for a house if they're not married. We learned that her mom is already on board. You know, she loves her some Juan. Her dad, though, is a little more apprehensive, mostly because he feels like they need to talk about some things and they need to compromise on a lot more than they've compromised on in the past. Robin says she 100% agrees. That's why she wants to do couples counseling. She said that wasn't something they had ever done in the past, which nowadays, you know, is, you know, you kind of, you, you advise everyone to do couples counseling, but back, you know, kind of back then it really wasn't as, you know, therapy and counseling was really a lot more faux pas. People still don't talk about it as much as they need to. People still don't, you know, uh, flower and water their, uh, their kind of personal relationships the way they need to or their mental health for that reason. But she says that that's something that they're going to do now, you know, try to set them up for, uh, you know, so that this time it lasts. Her dad's criticism though, even though it is criticism, we, the fans can really take it in a great place. And Robin can too, because the relationship that he has with Juan it almost feels like he's talking to his child. So, you know, Juan lost both of his parents and Robin's parents basically stepped in and loved him as if he was a son. So when that kind of person steps in to give criticism, you can't just dismiss it. That's something you really got to kind of stop and say, okay, you know him as well as you know me. Maybe I need to be thinking about what it is that we can do to kind of heed that advice. It seems like uh, Robin is heeding it. I don't know if they're going to heeding it. Is that a word? It's going to be today. Damn it. Heeding it. And you know, they're going to go to couples counseling. You know, we saw that in the trailer that they start going to couples counseling. I'm actually anxious to see what comes of that couples counseling, what we learn about the relationship in couples counseling, because I've always had kind of my own theories about what really caused the deterioration of their marriage. And I think personally, because it seems like they have spark, you know, they have that love between them, especially, you know, the past couple seasons, it's really, really, really grown. 
they're uh, you know they've made the conscious effort to try to fall back in love and it's worked. I think finances were the absolute reason, and I think any couple that tries to act like finances aren't a hardship in any relationship is dead ass lying. Like that can be, I think that I think finances could be a bigger issue than infidelity. Almost you can forgive finances. You almost can't forgive somebody making you go broke. And the fact that they trusted a friend like that and had to basically start over after Juan had been in the NBA, one of the highest paying careers there is. And they lost it all. They had to rebuild everything. And now both of them are back. She, you know, gets paid very well for the Housewives of Potomac. She's flipping houses. She has her own, uh, you know, little company that she does with uh, the satin hat. You know, those satin hats for, you know, black girls appreciate them satin hats because they ain't trying to get sweat them edges out, you know. So, uh, and then he's a coaching at like every school and doing all this different kind of stuff. So it seems like the finances started to get back on track and then the relationship started to get back on track. Once you kind of identify that stressor and move past it, there's no reason why the love can't come back. And it seems like that's exactly what happened. They fell right back into the place they used to be once they were able to secure the bag again. I'm rooting for the Dixons. If y'all know anything about me, you know I love me some Juan and Robin Dixon. I'm rooting for them. I don't want them to ever break up. I want Corey and Carter to have both of their parents in the same household. Everybody in there just beige and, and you know, just <laughs> doing their thing. Waffle cone colored, you know, as, as Charlemagne would say. I love it. Just beautiful black love. And I'll never root against black love. Well, there's a couple black loves I'm rooting against. But, you know, uh, uh, take me for my word, not my heart. Whatever. You know what the, hell the expression is. Hell, I don't know. The next scene that we get to before we kind of get to the climax of the episode is Ashley, her mom and her sister, who we know is uh, by Ashley's mother and the man that we've heard about for a couple of different seasons. You know, Michael has painted him out to be the just the worst person on the planet. That might be true. We've never he's never, you know, gotten the opportunity to defend himself. So I, I won't talk about that man for too long, but. We uh, go with them on this kind of dress shopping excursion where I think the sister is going to homecoming or, prom, you know, some kind of fall festival or something. You know, the, the kind of stuff they do on TV, like One Tree Hill and Laguna Beach, all that kind of shit. Going to one of those little uh, parties and, you know, she's trying on dresses. The, the lady behind the counter kept giving that girl different Gordon Gartrell dresses to try on. The sister was not having that shit. She was like, girl, if you don't, Get that shit to Theo and leave me the hell alone. <laughs> the sister went in there. She, you know, she kind of sidebarred and took a couple of dresses to try on. While she was doing that, I love this moment. While she was doing that, Ashley's mom kind of pulled her to the side and basically told her how angry she was at Michael for being a cheating ass, lying ass, dog ass, you know, basically saying that Michael needs to know that there will be consequences. Ashley, you know, she's kind of just listening really intently. And then she says, well, you know, I've told him that this is basically strikes one, two, and three. But, you know, we learn in the next scene, Ashley's not going anywhere. She believed everything he said. So we just kind of got to take it, you know, for whatever it is, face value. But 
the reason I wanted to kind of talk about this scene was because I feel like this is the first time we've ever seen Ashley's mom humanized on the show. We've only ever seen her being in the position of, ooh, not the opposition of their marriage, but in the position of being a negative kind of hue that was in the air. Like, you know, we've seen her asking, you know, needing the money or being taken care of or being in this bad relationship and all these kind of things. But getting to witness her saying, you know, fuck that money. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the husband. None of that. I need you to be okay. And I need you to tell that man that you are not going to keep tolerating the bullshit that he's doing out on these blogs and embarrassing you constantly. That humanized her for me because I we've never ever on the five seasons this show has been on have gotten that kind of moment with her. It's always been kind of a, or at least painted to be a damsel in distress kind of woman. And it, you know, it, it's sad to see, but that really kind of humanized her for me. And it makes me kind of wonder the role that Michael has tried to consciously play in their relationship. I'm glad throughout everything, Ashley has maintained a good relationship with her mom because that's something that she needs to hear constantly. She needs someone to tell her, look, that money ain't going to be everything. You're making your own money now. You'll be okay. Stay, you know, leave that man if you have to. Don't let him keep treating you like boo-boo the fool. You know, that's what a black mama say. Don't don't, don't be treating like boo-boo the fool now. But whatever. Ashley, listen to your mama. But, you know, you're going to stay with Michael. Y'all got baby number two on the way. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe... Maybe it take two babies for a man to stop cheating. I don't know. You know, I, I'm not a daddy, so I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I was about to say, I'm still out here cheating, but I ain't cheating on nobody. I come home every night. I lay across my bed, dead in the center of a king-size bed. I stretch out. I don't have to uh, worry about nobody rolling over on me. And I just go to sleep with a fan on medium and the air conditioning on. I be wake, I wake up snot-nosed every morning, but I be okay. After a while, it's all right. Don't don't feel too bad for me. I'm not uh, I was about to make a real a real ignorant joke, but I'm not gonna do that. All right, let's go ahead and talk about that scene that I know you've been waiting to talk about. Giselle's award party. So she gets the the ladies together to kind of talk about you know basically celebrate herself for winning that award. That's a major accomplishment. She wrote a book. She told her truth, and she got an award for it. That's fantastic. All the ladies kind of get together, and Ashley is the last one to arrive. That's kind of the one everyone's been waiting on to get there. Ashley, at some point in the, of the conversation, you know, talking about red wine, she drops the bomb that she might be trying for another child. Everyone is kind of dumbstruck, just kind of looking in awe, like, uh, what the hell is going on, basically? So Robin <laughs> kind of calls it out perfectly. She calls Ashley a politician and says that she's always given the correct vibe and the correct mood. That is the perfect way to describe it. I think that's why Ashley and Michael's relationship is so off-putting sometimes because it, it does come across as political and you know politicians have arrangements <laughs> sometimes. So it's really kind of hard to take them serious as a couple or relate to them rather as a couple. You know, you should be able to relate to the Darbys if you've ever been in a cheating relationship. 
But this doesn't seem like something you can necessarily relate to because you don't know if this is something like, you know, for all we know, they have an arrangement. For all we know, they have threesomes. For all we know, yada, 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 every other excuse in the book. I've said this once before, and I'll say it probably every episode going forward on this podcast. Giselle Bryant is perfect for reality TV. And I say that because one, she's messy in real life. (laughs) But I also say that because I feel like from the moment she stepped on camera, she realizes how reality TV works. That's one of the reasons why so many reality TV cast members go by the wayside because they don't understand what the viewers want to see. They don't understand that drama needs to happen. You know, all these different things. I say all that to say, Ashley gave this kind of perfect political statement. And Giselle says in front of everyone, well, all must be good on the Michael front then uh, since you're trying for another child. Now, see, everyone else at the table was willing to go on and just move to another conversation. Giselle hit her with that dream doll. She said, let's talk about this. Something's not adding up. That cast members that naturally that don't have to be produced into these lines are perfect for television. And Giselle is always that person. Robin is that person too, whether y'all know it or not, but that's why I love Robin Dixon and Giselle Bryant so much, the green eyed bandits, because they are basically producers on screen and they know what to say to get it started. I love that side note. Wendy, you are going to kill me with these facial expressions. I love people that cannot hide their emotions. Wendy is that person. Her face says it all every single time. And I laugh every single time. Wendy, you are the funniest mf on this show. <laughs> Them facial expressions alone... I need them to come back next season. Bravo, don't do me dirty and try to fire Wendy. Especially when she jumped in between these two, uh, uh, Ryu and Ken or Ryu and Chun-Li or whoever fighting on this episode. That lady deserves a second season contract just for getting punched in the face alone trying to break up this fight. Anyway, Ashley tells them that there is truth to what's being said on the internet according to Michael. Wendy asked her, well, I want to know what's true. And Ashley kind of recounts that same flimsy, ridiculous kind of story that Michael tells her. And all the ladies are just kind of, you know, listening and taking it all in. And then finally, Monique very blatantly says, so he went to the hotel and he did not have sex with this woman. Ashley says, yes, that's correct. Must She must realize how foolish that kind of says, even just coming out of her mouth. And then Robin, as, as always, right on cue says, and you believe that? See, that's why I love her. They're asking her and Giselle always ask the right questions to move that scene forward. Now, see, Beverly Hills, it would have been so passive aggressive. It would have been, you know, a lot of back and forth. They would have did all the talking in the interviews until they were ready to ambush. This kind of stuff happens right in the moment on cue. It's off the cuff. It's everything we want it to be. Potomac, you are the winners. 
as always. Now see, Robin is the perfect level of messy and she's the perfect counterpart to Giselle. She asked their lady, where is the sex? Well, she didn't ask her. <laughs> she, you know, said in her interview, where's the sex tape? Cause she's not about to keep believing all these stories that Michael Darby is pumping out. Nobody's going to sit up and constantly believe their foolishness. Where's the sex tape? Dr. Wendy said in that interview, I must have hollered. Dr. Wendy said, have y'all seen Michael? Who's cuddling with that? I know that's right. If you, if that man went up to that hotel, he had sex with that woman. Ain't nobody just inviting Michael up to their room to just cuddle and spoon. And Michael, you ain't that damn cute now. Don't nobody want them long wrinkled up ass balls just pressed against their back when they don't have to. I, let me move on because I was, <laughs> I was really about to go in on the Darby's and I'm not going to do that. Ashley said, well, I have to believe him because I don't know why he would lie at this point. And Giselle, once again, perfect response is like, uh, so you don't leave him? Like, duh, what, who couldn't come up with that reaction? Like, why are you, <laughs> I don't understand how everyone else is seeing how ridiculous this is, except Ashley. This is why it's so good to have such a blunt crew on TV. See, friends that constantly just kind of, oh, uh, you know, hmm, whatever, it, you know, it <laughs> doesn't make for good TV. This Potomac crew knows always what to say. Then Ashley drops the bombshell on the group that it's, <laughs> that basically her marriage, in her words, has an identity of its own. This is when she throws out the fact that they've had threesomes before. Everyone is shocked. Well, everyone is pretending to be shocked. I don't think anyone there is truly shocked. And she recounts the time that they were at a David Guetta concert. Now, that was the most in intriguing part of this story. Who the hell convinced Michael to go to a David Guetta concert? Because I can only imagine it's standing room only, probably outside, beach balls flying everywhere. <laughs> and who convinced this man to go to this party? But I guess when you got a young wife, you got to do dumb shit like this. So basically... Monique asked her, oh, this is so messy of me, and my notes, <laughs> what Monique really asked was, so it was you and two guys, or what was it? And then Ashley says, no, it was a girl. I wrote down in my notes, Monique, messy ass, asked if it was a train or a menage a trois. <laughs> Why do black people always differentiate when you have a man as opposed to a woman in a threesome, they're like, oh, no, that's a train. That's not a threesome. That's a train. Oh, no, that's a menage a trois. There you got uh, two women. Yeah, that's a menage a trois. Why do we do that? I don't know, but it was done, okay? And so Wendy jumps and says, well, I have a question. If this happens again, what happens? Ashley tries to laugh it off, you know, basically trying to make a joke out of it. But Wendy says, uh, no, I'm, I'm serious. What happens then? Then Ashley once again says that the ultimatum is she's going to leave Michael. Do we believe this? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out if she's serious, if it happens again. Let's just hope that, you know, she has another child on the way. Let's just hope that if infidelity is a factor in their relationship, let's hope it goes away. Let's hope that Michael sees that that message he's putting out there isn't necessarily the best for his sons. I don't know what the new kid is, though, but I don't know. But anyway, now we get to 
the moment between Monique and uh, I keep saying Monique and Ashley. I feel like I want them to beef, but I really don't. Monique and Candace. We get to the moment between Monique and Candace. The thing that social media has been beefing about all week is who started the fight. Now, we could go back episode and episodes and we could say, you know, well, Candace wasn't a good friend because she was trying to get Sharice around. And, you know, Ashley already told us that, you know, we could say, well, Monique was dodging Candace and was being shady or something like that. We can say all that. I want to know who started the fight in this moment. Candace was, you know, doing a lot at the table. The Green Knight Bandits were cracking up because she, you know, she was twirling. She was twirling. Monique was, you know, telling her, yeah, twirl, twirl, do all that. Candace would say, I'm bored. You know, she was going to sleep. She was saying, uh, you know, all this different stuff. But I, it, it's hard. Let me talk through it. Maybe I'll make up my mind then because I keep going back and forth about who started this fight. Candace says, I love you all. Cause she's, you know, everyone's kind of drunk. They all taste the wine. Monique then says it takes being drunk to get her to, you know, to get all that from her. That was a shot. And so Candace moved on and said, I love you all. Anyway, Candace then mentions about Monique being asleep at the lake house when she was leaving. And that seemed to cause a lot of confusion not just amongst the group, but specifically, I must be drunk too, damn, specifically with Monique. Monique is like, what the hell are you talking about? Why would I pretend to be asleep? You know, they're going back and forth. And she was like, you know, I sat up all day and and then she stopped herself. She said, well, you don't have kids, so you wouldn't understand. And then Candace says, there you go, trying to mom shame me. Now, Monique asked a good question because she was like, can you mom shame somebody that don't have kids? That's what I'm wondering. I don't know if you could. I guess you can. People said, listen, I don't know. I'm too. Lord, look, I consider myself to be a woke individual, but sometimes social graces are moving a little faster than I can keep up with. I don't know if that's mommy shaming. I don't know if you have to have a child to be a mother anymore. I really don't. (laughs) I'm just trying to not get canceled out here in 2020. So I don't, I'll let Candace have that. We'll move past that. (laughs) Giselle then jumps in and says, what is, you know, what's kind of happening here? You guys had a big friendship. Monique said, no, it wasn't really a friendship. It was a facade. And then she started comparing their friendship to the green eye bandit saying, you know, you invite her places. She invites you. Y'all hang out. Y'all call each other. Yada, yada, yada. And basically Monique is saying that the friendship has been one sided. And it seems like throughout this episode, both of them were saying the exact same thing. Candace tried to make a point. She had that knife in her hand and she started tapping that glass. Wendy took that damn knife so fast. She's like, nah, motherfucker. I didn't heard about what you do with knives. I'm going to go and take this. Candace said, thank you. (laughs) And started apologizing. That made everybody laugh. So you thought it was going to kind of blow over. But then Monique blurts out that Giselle told her about Candace befriending Sharice when they were beefing. Ooh, that started the drum. That started kind of the drum roll there. Everybody in their restaurant was staring as they were doing this arguing. They were like, oh, wait a minute. Them the, wait a minute. Who is that? Over? Is it, is that Karen Hugo? Who is that? Giselle? Wait a minute. Get them. That's Potomac. Girl, they about to, uh, gang bang in Potomac. They would stay. 
Monique, uh, I, see, okay. This is what I'm wondering about. Both of them had their hands in the other one's faces. It wasn't until Monique said, get your hand out of my face, that we is, you know, we knew that was going to be an issue. That kind of harkens back to Kenya and Portia at that Atlanta season six reunion. Portia felt like her personal space was being violated. I don't know how much you can relate it to this because it seemed like both of them were violating each other's spaces. So I don't really know if one can be put as the victim and the other one as, you know, Goliath. (laughs) I don't really know, but it seemed like that personal space invasion is always what starts the reality TV fights. The people are in there staring, they're continuing to argue, and then we get that cliffhanger. Monique kind of flips Candace's hair. Monique, I'm uh, Candace kind of invades her space back, and then they start to kind of tussle. We get the, you know, the black screen. We hear somebody with a real deep voice say, Monique, stop. Now, I don't know who that was, but I'm ready to find out. Karen started running. Lord Jesus. Karen, you you remind me, don't you ever let me go to the club with you. You know motherfuckers start shooting in clubs. I don't need you with me if you just go run and ain't going to make sure I'm behind you. I need you to look back and make sure I'm behind you if we get the shooting at the club. Don't just run. Grab my hand. Let's run together. You ran off by yourself. See that, Karen? That's why <laughs> you ain't in a green banded relationship on this show because they know your ass is fight or flight. And you the flight in their relationship. Don't nobody want to always be the fight in the relationship. I want to flight sometimes too. Let me flight. You come find me later. Or let's lead together. Listen. This was a jammed packed episode. Now y'all see what I was talking about when I said. It, I wouldn't do this episode service if I talked about all of the housewives. In this one episode. I've been talking for, well, more than an hour, you know, edited down to an hour. Just on this one episode of Potomac, my God, my God, the golden age of reality TV on Bravo is back. People, we are in for a treat. The the rest of this season on Potomac, I'm so ready for it. It's going to be amazing. But you already know, I want to hear everything that you want to tell me. You know, I love the peace and love and I love the shade and the slander too. Tell me everything. I want to hear it all. Either drop down in my comments on Instagram at Housewives Marvel Podcast or email me. I love communicating with you guys either way. Email me at Gmail, Housewives Marvel Podcast at gmail.com and I'll be sure to include your feedback either on Instagram or an upcoming episode. I want to hear from you guys. See ya! Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.
Switching and saving with GEICO is easy, so you're free to ponder life's big questions. Like, is the word dictionary in the dictionary? If so, it probably says something like dictionary, noun. A dictionary is the word you are reading now and the pages they were printed on. Basically, this thing you are looking at right now that you're holding, reading words from, it's a dictionary. As in, hey, look at me. I'm holding a dictionary in my hands as I read the definition of dictionary. Yeah, it's probably something like that. Switch and save with Geico. It's easier than you think. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.